I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. My guest is Elizabeth Bailey, founder and CEO of 2B Communications. Elizabeth and her team help associations identify and implement new pathways to success and sustainability. Their research surfaces the insights that matter most and leads to strategies that help advance the entire association, from value proposition and member engagement to branding, communications, and governance. In a recent conversation, Elizabeth mentioned to me the concept of life cycle of membership. And in the past, we've assumed that members would join and stay until retirement, but that's not necessarily true. So Elizabeth, let's start with a basic question. Why is it important to pay attention to the life cycle of membership, which implies that it's not forever? Yeah, I I think that's right. I think gone are the days of just assuming that someone, once someone joins, they're going to be with you until they're forever, until they retire or make a major life change. Um, there's a, there's a lot more at play. And so even defining life cycle of membership um, is a little bit different than maybe how we thought about it in the past. We used to think about it very in a very linear way. Someone starts and then they end their membership at some point. And then we layered in career stage if that's relevant to uh, your particular association. Um, but what we're finding in our research is it's incredibly important to look at to look at it from a couple other dimensions. Um, and that is through the lens of who the members really are. I mean, not all new members are young. Not all members that lapse are old. Um, we're seeing an upswing in, you know, mid-career, mid-life career changes, that sort of thing. So to stay ahead of the curve, we really have to start looking more comprehensively at this entire thing we call the life cycle of membership and how it applies uh, to individuals and then collective groups uh, in the various associations that you and I both work with. So if you were working with a new client, how would you walk them through this concept? And from a practical standpoint, uh, what does what does the activity around it look like? Well, um, usually, you know, clients come to us um, be- because they're having a problem uh, or a challenge. And so often the conversation starts around what's happening within the association. Either they've plateaued, they're, things are starting to slide in a direction, or they really feel there's some opportunities that they're not able to seize upon. And so we we start there, and we start by getting a real understanding. I just flat out ask, sort of, what do you know about your membership today? Um, we see a lot of very outdated, you know, insights and data, and we see a lot of data that sort of falls short of being able to apply it to strategy. And so we start to have the conversation from there, and um, – Oftentimes we have to dig in a little bit to the operational side of the organization and really look at trends in attendance and uptake at conferences and things um, and uptake for different professional development or other activities. And, you know, any combination of performance metrics um, sort of starts that conversation as well as looking at, you know, what they actually know about folks. And not surprisingly, um, you know, a lot of people don't know much about individuals other than perhaps where they work, their title. Um, they don't really have a, a great sense of where they are in their in their life and, and what's going on that might be relevant to delivering a, you know, a really good member experience. So ultimately, so it, we set goals. Go ahead. Do, do they not uh, know 
really, really in-depth about members because they don't um, ask for the data when members first join? Is it that they're not tracking it? Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of associations are still dealing with very old systems, very old, you know, association management systems and tough databases. I think there's been some reticence sometimes to ask for information. And obviously, if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, you can't build a, a census really through survey. And you can get some good ideas and some directional data. But the only way to really have a good census of who your members are is to collect that through the membership process. So I, I think some, you know, healthy, thoughtful evolution in that area is usually useful for, um, you know, most associations. And it doesn't mean this huge laundry list. I mean, it's just, you know, there's a few things <laughs> that that you need to know um, to help to put some, to, to really shape uh, the, the picture and put some, put some more color into the picture in terms of what, what your membership's really about. So what types of research are necessary in order to be able to get a handle on on this? What does that look like from your standpoint? Well, we always do a a combination of qualitative and quantitative. Um, So we'll do some interviewing and um, sometimes some focus groups and things, although we actually find we like one-on-one interviews better to sort of capture the spectrum that's out there, all the things we need to be thinking about. And um, oftentimes we're asked to conduct the major um, membership survey. And in the past, they've been very just satisfaction oriented for most associations. And we really, um, we try to collect enough data and enough insights that we can really look at, you know, where do people think they're going to be in a few years? Um, what is it that they are really looking for? You know, do they see in this association pathways to the type of engagement that would appeal to them. Um, and so we actually recommend only doing a major, major survey about every three years um, and then using other methods of keeping your finger on the pulse in between. Uh, and people are really over-surveyed. And so and you can kind of buy some uh, way in if you don't do them too often and if you execute them very well and, and get all that you need to apply it to good strategy. Um, well, those are the two main things, some good qualitative research and then, you know, a really solid um, member survey that can be applied readily to strategy across the organization. So you mentioned survey fatigue, which I think is really becoming a hurdle and a, a challenge to overcome. Um, I also see sometimes that uh, associations are just trotting out the same survey they did a year ago send it out to the same group of people, and they haven't really thought through what it is they're trying to achieve with their survey, and so they're getting lackluster results. And sometimes the reason they do this is they say they want to be able to benchmark from year to year, um, but but if data isn't relevant and it's not helping you do anything, it doesn't matter if you have a benchmark or not, right? A hundred percent. You know, um, we this is a discussion we have with just about every client that needs some uh, member and market research. I mean, a lot of, we have to look at the competitive environment. We have to not just ask, what are you interested in? We have to understand, are you interested in this and you would expect that and want that from us, this association, or are you getting that need met somewhere else? Um, We need to understand what's working and not working if they've served in leadership. We see a, a lot of, you know, kind of problems with leadership engagement structures, pathways to leadership that turn a lot of people off and turn a lot of people away. 
Um, clearly, if you have chapters, right, we really want to look at what is it like, what's working about leading a chapter, what's working about being involved in a chapter, or why aren't you? I think one of the things people overlook in their in their surveying is also getting a bead on, you know, how well do people even know you do this? Um, we get a lot of, I don't know, I don't use it. And a lot of times those aren't even asked in, in the questions. Um, and then obviously we always want to test messaging. We want to test how you're positioning uh, the association. So there's just a, that's why you only do them every few years. And if you, there's a way to, to benchmark certain questions in, you know, a little bit fresher, using a little fresher methodology. Sometimes benchmarking is not as important as asking the question right. And you then have the opportunity to make that kind of shift as well. I mean, we're always looking for research, again, that leads to actionable strategy. It, it's not helpful to just have a bunch of research where everybody sits in the room and goes, huh, we knew that, or, huh, that's interesting, now what? Right? It really has to lead somewhere. So this is a little off topic, but I'm curious. Do you ever find information through your research that associations don't really want to know? Maybe because it's bad news? Well, uh, yes. <laughs> and sometimes it's just really hard news because it's going to mean a lot of change. An example, you know, I can give you is uh, we had an associ a national association that um, really saw themselves as a direct-to-member association. But when we did all the research, we, you know, it was very clear that members didn't think about national at all. They were all about their local chapters. Um, but the association wasn't set up to empower chapters. And we also learned that about, you know, 30% of their chapters were really struggling, may not be in business a few years from now. So that raised some really important strategic questions for the association about A, who is its real customer, and B, if they did embrace that it was really the, the chapters that were their customer, um, what shifts, including staffing shifts, and reallocating and realigning are going to be needed to make that happen and make it sustainable. So that's really tough, right? I mean, those are people's jobs, and that's, you know, a whole organizational uh, implication for that kind of finding. Um, I did want to jump back, too, just about the, the survey fatigue that you mentioned earlier, because I think this is really fun and interesting. We just pulled a survey out of the field a few weeks ago for um, a, a large national association, and um, they had an amazing response rate, uh, which was in the high 30s. And interestingly, um, about 70 or 80 people were over the age of 90 who did that survey. So I know some associations and, and many, many more in their 80s. So I know some associations feel like they may miss if they have an, a membership that really skews older maybe missing those voices, but we are certainly not finding that at all. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And I think uh, there's implications for associations on, on all sorts of levels here. Um, when, when, you, when we talk about this and think about it, you know, how possible is it to influence the natural life cycle of membership? I mean, you, um, you mentioned older uh, much more senior 
members, you know, many, many associations don't even have that age group really well represented in their association. So how possible is it to even influence life cycle? Well, I think it's, I think it's very possible. And I think it also depends on what you're really shooting for. Um, I mean, we know from other industry research, um, you know, how important really having an engagement model and an engagement plan is, right? And um, if we start looking at what's your return on engagement, then we start having a different conversation because return on engagement can mean a robust leadership pipeline with people who really want to serve. Um, it certainly means, you know, high renewals. It can mean greater uptake for some of your offerings. So I think that, again, we look at when it comes to this membership life cycle, we take very much a, all of that data and we really look, take a persona approach. Who are these people? And what is it that this association, um, what role does this association really play in their lives? And we really have to remember that people don't build their lives around associations. Associations have to really fit into their lives, right? And too often they don't. They just say, well, this is when we do our webinars or this is when we do this or that. And that doesn't fit in people's lives. So I think you can do a lot by really thinking the through the who are they, why would they care, what problems are we solving, and how, how do we help people within whatever sector we're working, how do we really help them to see things differently and do things differently in their lives? in a meaningful way. That's what we're going for. That's value. So that, that has a huge implication for an association. Um, the, the research that you're doing helps you fine tune the value proposition. Um, so talk a little bit about uh, an example or two maybe of an association that has focused on life cycle and that in which that's kind of helped them strengthen their value proposition. And how has it changed their work or their approach to membership in general? Well, I have to say it's changing versus changed because I think, um, you know, we've really started focusing on this in the last few years. Um, many associations have been focusing on career stage for a long time and trying to make sure they have, you know, offerings that address career stage. But when you add those other dimensions of involvement and, you know, and other aspects of a value proposition, the things they can attend in person, all these other things, it starts to look differently. Um, so I think that, you know, one of our, one of our uh, current clients is really in the process of, of implementing much more of a field-based approach, a much more of an empowerment approach, again, for their chapters with much more flexibility in the model so that um, they can you know, meet the expectations of what we understand their members want. They've had been, this is a different association that I was referring to earlier, but they had been really thinking they were going to put a lot of muscle behind more learning, uh, more professional development kinds of things. But um, in this particular case, a, there's different kinds of programming that people would actually like better and would, would be much more interested in that kind of fold in also some recognition opportunities for their members. So I think their programming is going to change pretty radically from what they thought they were going to do once we really dug into it and we understand what people really, really want and how much time they have to do things and, and the barriers to getting there or not getting there. 
So I would think, um, you know, a lot of associations have internal research departments or they do research on a regular basis. But I would think um, your objectivity and your experience with other associations would be valuable. So even for a group that that has some internal work that they regularly do, how do you supplement that or how can you help supplement that? Well, we're always really um, respectful, first of all, of the talent that's internal and um, and very mindful of the fact that it doesn't always feel good for outside firms and individuals to come in. Um, so, you know, we start there and, and try to get on the same page in terms of what, what we're trying to accomplish together. And sometimes it's very narrowly focused. Like we feel like we're having a a real struggle with this type of membership. Maybe it's your institutional membership within a broader membership organization or whatever. Um, and then we are very careful not to redo work that doesn't need to be redone. We try to draw from, you know, what's there that can be used and then really figure out what the gaps are and what more might be needed to do a good job with figuring out strategies. So, we are super collaborative um, in how we work with clients. We we don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. So we really, we always try to start with getting around the table, the virtual table together or the physical table together and taking a real look at, at what exists today and, and, and getting very uh, clear on what we really are trying to accomplish um, uh, with any new research and with any new strategy. So in the cases where you've had big changes, like in the, the case where you realize that national's real audience probably should have been the chapters and not necessarily direct to members, I'm guessing that you probably get a little pushback uh, from the board when you deliver your report or your recommendations. Um, how do you handle that when uh, the news is either bad or it's uh, going to require a lot of heavy lifting? What do you generally see from boards? Are they willing to make the changes that they they need to? Are they a little bit more cautious? Or do you get some stonewalling occasionally? Well, first of all, I would never deliver something like this stone cold to a board. I would have already somewhere in the process talked with a number of board members to understand their perspectives and also with the executive director and any other staff to sort of understand where the internal mindset is. And, um, what we might need to do to make sure we really are transparent and, and offer up a, you know, a good solid set of, you know, of findings and, and their strategic implications. Um, so I kind of start there. I um, mean, I think that good research um, is as solid a footing as you can be on when you're trying to help people understand what their options are and why change might be needed. Um, we definitely, you know, don't have 100% consensus on every recommendation, but I would say, you know, for instance, right now we're looking at an organization with a long history, and um, they really, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that don't want to change their brand identity at all, but there's more people that want to honor the legacy, but really see the need for an evolution because it's not resonating with a good portion of the audience. So in that case, we're going to find um, a solution on the creative side, on the branding side, but I think we'll, you know, probably not 100% please everybody, but we'll honor and advance the things that collectively they, they think are important. 
And so I, I really rely on, on the data and our experience, you know, having done this for a long time, um, of helping walk them through what the options are and what the potential scenarios are given any direction. I think that's a great place to wrap up, Elizabeth. I love that combination of honoring the past, but advancing uh, the association as well. And I really think that's what the whole concept of uh, relevance is about, is um, keeping our past an important part of the association, um, but not stagnating or not advancing, because the world is certainly changing rapidly. So thank you so much for being here today, Elizabeth. My pleasure. I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today.